Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. Um, Rob began our series three weeks ago in Psalm 1, and it presented two paths, the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. There's one path that leads to life. There's one path that leads to death. Psalm 25 is for those who choose the path of life. Let me just say that straight up front. Psalm 25 is for those who say, you know, I I really want to seek to walk the Lord's path. But it's for those of us who've chosen that path. And can I say this? Once we've been on the path for a while, we suddenly or slowly realize, this is not (laughs) as easy or as pain-free as I thought it was gonna be. And I think that's why when we looked at Psalms to do, part of the reason I chose Psalm 25 is I so resonate with that, you all. I've said this before. If I do anything as a teacher, as one of your pastors, I'm just gonna tell you like it is in my life. I'm, there's just no, I'm not gonna pretend anything about the Christian life with you. And I happen to be one of those people who when they came to faith in Christ, really thought, you know, I'm choosing the path of life. And in my head, I, you know, I thought this is, gonna, this is it. I finally found the answer to life. And you know what? I did find the answer to life, but I didn't find the answer to all my questions, nor did I find a path that made me immune from pain and disappointment and loss and hurt. In fact, I would suggest I'm now on this path and I'm going, I think the other path would have been less painful. And Psalm 25 comes along to those of us who've, who've sought to walk our walk with God and find that it is a painful path. Bible scholar P.C. Craigie writes this and says it much better than I could. He says, the prayer of Psalm 25 complements the wisdom of Psalm 1. Psalm 1 established two ways, that of the righteous and that of the wicked. But taken alone, Psalm 1 could be misleading. It might be taken to imply that the essence of life was simply choosing the right road. Once the choice has been made, all would be well. But in Psalm 25, we find the prayer of a person who is walking the road of the righteous, but the road is not an easy one. It is lined with enemies, who would like nothing better than to put the walker to shame. And the traveler on the road is also plagued, plagued with internal doubts, end quote. I would add this. Psalm 25 reminds us that when we choose, we have two paths, and when we choose the path of the Lord, what we find is this path becomes many paths, and, and you, you kind of get on the path and you go, well, I got another choice to make on the path and another choice to make and another choice to make. It's not like getting on an escalator. You get on that, there are no choices to be made. Boom. You go to the second floor. It's more like getting on the subway system and the first train you get on will probably not be the one that delivers you to your final destination and you've got to make choices all along the way. And sometimes you all, and we'll see it in this psalm, Enemies from without, out there, and enemy from within (laughs) create such confusion and doubt and difficulty that we don't know which way to choose. How does God guide us? What is the heart 
that God guides? Well, there's a song, it's Psalm 25, and we're gonna listen to it today. Now, when David penned this psalm, he penned it as an acrostic. So think of it this way, you know, each successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet begins each line. It's wonderful in terms of memory, it's really crazy in terms of an outline. <laughs> and so you find David crying out to God, making a statement about God, having a petition to God, reflecting on his own sin, asking God, he's just everywhere. And so I'm gonna say to you, we'll take this theme, the heart that God guides, and then we're gonna listen to the song. It's not gonna be easy to take notes, but who takes notes when they're listening to a song? Let's let the song unfold before us and answer that question, the heart that God guides. With that said, God's word to us today, we're gonna take it a couple sections at a time. Verses one to three, Psalm 25, David sings. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly wantonly treacherous. The first thing we can say about the heart God leads is it's the heart that's all in. The old poker term, I'm all in. I think I'm gonna win this, so I'm putting everything in. The heart that God leads is one who says, I'm, I'm all in. You know, when you go all in in poker, you're all in, you either win or lose. If you lose, you go home. When he lifts his hands, it's a picture of prayer. It's an offer of sacrifice. It's whatever's in your hand saying that, God, this is yours. And what does he offer to God? Oh God, I lift up my, what does he say? My soul. You all notice he doesn't say, I'm gonna give you my job. Lord, I give you my relationships. Now we give all those, but he just says, I give you me. We would say in terms, I think, certainly are biblical, we'd say, I give you my whole heart. All that I am, right? All that I am is yours. God guides those who are all in. Three times he says, may I not be put to shame. May I not be put to shame. I'm all in, I'm, I'm trusting you. Now, let me make a, a, a distinction here. We often, inappropriately, we want to make a, the, the distinction between shame and guilt, okay? Shame, uh, uh, guilt, let me go here first. Guilt would say, I made a mistake, and we all do. I did something wrong. I feel guilty. Thank God for guilt. I can repent. Shame, on the other hand, says not, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. Don't go there. Distinguish between guilt and shame. Now, with that said, okay, I want you to take that distinction and I want you to set it down. Just set it aside for a moment. Why? Because in the Hebrew and in David's thought, when he says, do not let me be put to shame, he's not doing between guilt and shame. He's identifying that feeling, that sense, that voice that says to us, I've trusted something and it didn't come through. He's saying, I've, I've got confidence in this. I, I, got I have confidence in this. And then he comes to find over time, ooh, what I had confidence in, I should not have had confidence in. I've been put 
to shame. Does that make sense? That's the, that's the shame. That he, it's, it's like he, he is not gonna be vindicated. I've, I'm not vindicated. In fact, I've been embarrassed by trusting this. He says, Lord, don't let me get to the end of my life and find that my trust in you, I trusted you. Don't let me get to the end of my life and I find God does not keep his word. That's his prayer. I need to pause right here and I wanna clarify something really, really important. Trusting God does not mean you will never be put to shame in this life. Now, stay with me as I move through this. In fact, I would suggest if you trust God, uh, there will be many times in this life you are put to shame. Well, well what do you mean, Lord? Because he says, why would I be put to shame if I trust God? Let me, let me say it like this. In this life, there will be times that you and I trust God for something. And it doesn't happen. Am I the only one that's done that? In this life, you will take a stand for God. There will be times you, uh, no, I, I'm a stand here. And I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna stand here and the world is gonna crush you. you. You'll be put to shame in the eyes of others in the world, though you've taken a stand for God and trusted him. In this life, there will be times that your trust in God will not be vindicated. Like, like you, you're gonna trust God and you're gonna end your life and you, your trust won't be vindicated in the eyes of the world. Does this sort of make sense? Okay, I'm, I'm gonna unpack it even further. In the moment David was writing the Psalm, he was, we believe he was running from Absalom, his son, who had betrayed his dad stolen the kingdom and David's running for his life. I'm gonna tell you something. As David's running out of Jerusalem, tail between his legs, would you say that God is vindicating his trust in him? Not in that moment. David's being put to shame before the whole nation as he runs from his son. I said earlier that David is saying, Lord, don't let me get, and here was the key phrase, to the end of my life and find that you were not trustworthy. The key phrase in there is, don't, don't let me get to the end of my life. The one walking the path of God must know that this world, this life, is not all there is, and in fact, is not the most important thing there is. Uh, there is a life to come. So the one who follows Jesus, y'all, when we think about, Lord, don't let me be put to shame, please understand, you can't live for vindication in this life. Don't let me be put to shame in this life, oh my. You'll be put to shame in this life by the world, okay? Let me ask you a question, I'll ask it four ways. Would you rather be leading the race for most of the race or be leading when you cross the finish line? Would you rather, World Cup time with the ladies right now, would you rather be up one goal for most of the game or up one goal when the final whistle blows? Would you rather win a battle 
You want to win the whole war. Would you rather be seen, okay, by the world? Would you rather be seen by your peers, by those around you as right for 70 years, 80 years, maybe 90 years? Would you rather have that? Or would you rather be seen as right forever? There's no comparison. So when we say you trust in God and you will not be put to shame, men and women, set your sight on the long game, not on the short game of this life, but in the end, we will not be put to shame for having trusted and walked God's path. The song goes on, verses four to seven. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Here David stacks upon, you know, just stacks over and over, teach me, lead me, guide me, teach me, lead me. Why? Because he wants us to understand that the guidance of God is for those who want it. God, make me want your will. Teach me, lead me. You teach me your paths. The guidance of God is for those who want it, who really want it. Uh, many of you have been in third world countries. I have in different places where you've been in a classroom. I've been, uh, my picture that comes to my mind is South Sudan. You're in a classroom and there's kids in there. Uh, they're hungry because they haven't eaten. Uh, the room is just these benches that they're sitting on. They don't have pencils and notebooks. They have this piece of wood that's been painted black and there's scrap pieces of chalk around and there's black paint on the wall and they have to share this notebook, notebook piece of thing to write things down on. The teacher uh, is, is, is passionate in their teaching but probably not as gifted or as trained as many here. And I've, I've been in those classrooms and, and you and I, you know, as a parent, I've been in classrooms in Williamson County where kids come to school, you know, with, with uh, hey, you know, with a Starbucks, you know, and they've eaten and um, they're at desk. They have all the technology they need, sitting in an air-conditioned classroom at desk. Teacher has a master's degree. Now, let me tell you the difference between the two beyond those obvious things. And know this, I've got three kids who've been through Williamson County School, so I'm talking about my kids when I say this. Many of the kids in our schools in Williamson County are there because they have to be. Now these kids in South Sudan who have nothing, I'm telling you why they're there. Because they wanna be, they wanna learn, I mean that. And I share that, not to throw either under the bus or throw, throw this under the bus, but just to say, that's the, 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 the attitude and the framework of the one who God leads is the one who's sitting here and wants to be led. They, I want you to lead me, God, you see. I don't think that I'm going out of bounds when I frame it in this way. If God's guidance is optional to you, oh, you will not have it. But if the guidance of God is as essential to you 
as the air you breathe, you will never be without it. You will never be without it when you want it. Now, interestingly in this section, something happens when we want God's will. Watch this happen in your life. God, I, I so want your will in this. And then something you haven't thought of in years creeps in your mind. You're thinking, I can't believe I'm asking for God to help me when I've done that. Oh, oh I'm thinking of stuff. It's like you want God to lead you and the world, the flesh, and the devil come against you and remind you of your sin. Isn't that what happens to David? He's an older man when this happens. He's, and, and all of a sudden he's praying for God's will and he goes, and don't remember the sins of my youth. All the, and he'll go on to say, Lord, forgive me, etc." Watch for that. That when you want God's will, oh, the world, the flesh, and the devil will come against you, will accuse you, and you'll start thinking of things that you, make you unworthy of God's guidance. And right here is where we need to drive the stake in the ground, even as David does. And what does he do? He casts himself on the mercies of God and his steadfast love. Hesed is the Hebrew word, his steadfast love. Well, what do you mean he cast himself on that? Well, David throws himself upon the God who forgives. He says, God, I know you forgive sin. I've been sacrificing animals my whole life that you would cover sin. And he throws himself on the mercy of God. And here's where you and I have the advantage. If this is the cross of Christ in time, David stood on this side of that cross and believed in God's mercy that God forgives sin. You and I stand on this side of the cross and we look back at a crucified savior. We look back on a historical moment in time when the God-man Jesus hung on the cross, he who knew no sin took ours died in our place, was buried and rose again. So I'm just saying, for you and I, we throw ourselves on what? Same thing David did. The mercy and steadfast love of God. God, you love me enough that you forgive my sins. And he did so in the Lord Jesus Christ fully and completely. So when that doubt comes in and when the sin you know you've sinned bears its head within, we call upon the mercy of God. And the reality of that mercy in the cross. The song goes on, verse eight. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love. Every time you read that, think hesed. It's that covenant love of God. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Those who keep his covenant and his, for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. This is a beautiful phrase, the friendship of the Lord, the intimacy of the Lord, the counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. I'm gonna grab three phrases from this section, David, 
uses to describe the heart God leads, the person God leads. Let's, you note him with me. He says, God leads the sinner, he leads the humble, and he leads the one who fears God. If you think in your mind that you must get all your ducks in a row, you gotta clean up your life before you go to ask God for guidance, you will never go to ask God for guidance because you will never clean up your life. It'll never, you'll never hit a spot where you go, okay, I've got it all clean. Now I'm gonna, you know, that's legalism. Isn't it interesting that he just point blank says it? God leads the sinner. It's almost like you wouldn't expect that. You'd expect that God leads the righteous. <laughs> he leads the sinner. That's you and me. He leads the sinner. That'd be the one who simply says, I've sinned and I sin still. I'm in need of a savior. I'm a sinner. He leads the humble. This would be the one who says, think about what humility is in being humble. Humble would say, I don't know. I can't. I'm a dependent being. I, I need something greater than me. He leads the humble. He leads the sinner. He leads the humble. He leads the one who fears God. And these all kind of, you know how they, see how they kind of connect? They, they, they lead to each other. What, what is the fear of God? I, you know, I've, I heard a phrase many, many years ago. It's, the, it's always stuck with me. It's the wholesome dread of displeasing God. The wholesome dread of displeasing God. I kind of amend that a little as I was thinking about it. I think I, if, I, if I simplified that, I'd just simply say it this way. Uh, a, a fear of God, you can see it this way. It's a wholesome dread of God. Now you kind of go, well, no, I don't dread God. Well, I want you to think about that word dread and what it means. And I want you to understand I'm connecting it to wholesome. So you can't take one without the other. It's the wholesome, good, right, true, full dread. Ooh, there's something there that's beyond me. I, I'm not sure it... Yes, yes, that's the wholesome dread, the fear of God. Both of our girls, uh, Lisa and I, our two, our, our two daughters, growing up were um, very afraid of storms. Not, certainly not uncommon at all. And uh, they're terrified. And so, you know how that is around here. The, um, especially this time of year, quite frankly, you're right, you go to bed sometime in the middle of the night, the whole house lights up in a moment. It's like, ding, you know, like strobes hit every window because lightnings, and within, you know, one or two seconds, boom, you know, it's literally, and I'm not exaggerating, you know this, the whole house shakes, it just shakes because of the, the sound. And then what? Count two or three seconds, you know, the kids come into bed. You know, we miss that now because our kids are grown, but you, some of you are still living that, and they come in there, oh my gosh, it's dark, you know? And uh, you're kind of, I'll go to sleep, I'm trying to sleep. But here's the thing I want you to think about. Oh, really think about this. Hmm. Thank God my girls are terrified of lightning because they know if it hits them, they'll die. Is that a bad thing? I don't, that sounds like a good thing to me. Thank God my girls understand that a tornado can level this home and take seriously the, the gravity of that power. What, you, you wanna, you know, what do we want to teach our kids not to be afraid of storms? Are you kidding me? We'll just transfer that over to the fear of God. 
Do we want them not to fear God? And we know, want them to know how much God loves them, but understand, it's the wholesome dread of God. Wholesome because we know he loves us unconditionally, but he's God. He's the God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and all things are under his rule and reign and he's the God who directs the lightning strikes and the storms, he turns them to the north, south, east or west that they may accomplish what concern him. Woo, fear God, yes. A wholesome dread because this very God who numbers my days and puts breath in me right now, I could drop over dead in the next five seconds if God removed life from me. This is the God with whom we have to deal. And this is the God who loves us unconditionally and demonstrates it in Christ. God leads the sinner, the humble, and the one who fears God. Verse 15 his soul shall, um, I'm sorry, my eyes are ever toward the Lord for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. This section, David finally dives deep and says, I am in big trouble. I have people who want to kill me. I have enemies. Wait, I'm walking the path of the righteous. Everyone should love me. No, I have enemies and I have trouble within. I'm still thinking about my sin. Oh God, forgive my sin for I'm guilty. His feet are in a net. It's a real pretty visual picture if you think about your feet in a net. You can't get your feet out of the net and he's, try, he's trying to get, Absalom's about to kill him and his feet are in a net. And where are his eyes? Where are his eyes? Where's he looking? His eyes are on the Lord and, and, and I want you to think about this. When your feet are in the net, and they will be, that's not the time to bend over and start working on your feet to free your feet from the net. That's the time to look to the Lord and say, oh God, deliver me. Because that's our deliverance. Not cutting our feet free from the net that tangles us. You know, he says, my trouble, my heart, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. And man, I get that. He's saying, God, my troubles are growing bigger and bigger in my heart. You remember earlier on I said, God leads those who are all in. Remember I said, God leads those who want it. I just want you to think about this. When in life do we most desperately want God's leading? When we're in trouble. When we're in trouble. And in that way, can we understand, even as James reminded us, the troubles of life God uses to enlarge our hearts, not just with trouble, but to enlarge our hearts for him. And in this way are not some, really, it's hard for me to say this, are not the troubles of life means of grace. God uses those to enlarge our heart for him. Okay, verse 20 to 22, we'll wrap up. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. 
May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let me give you a quick review, and then I'll hit these verses. God guides the heart that's all in. He guides the heart that's all in to the very end. In the end, we will not be ashamed. He guides the heart that wants his guidance. I'm desperate for you to guide me. He guides the sinner, the humble, the one who fears God. And now we'll add one last thing. He guides the heart that waits. It's the third time he's said it. Verse three, I indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Verse five, for you I wait all the day long. Verse 21, may integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. We can add that the heart God leads is the heart that waits on God. Let me say just a few quick things about waiting on God. Number one, waiting reminds us that we're not in control. Sometimes we need to be reminded. And you know what? You know how God reminds us we're not in control? Wait. Secondly, waiting is an act of submission. See, when you, when you choose to wait, you're recognizing I'm not in charge. I, I, I'm under something else, someone else. Waiting is an act of submission. And let me say this so that we, we, we have this in our repertoire as we walk out of this room. In this culture, men and women, waiting is a sign of weakness. You just read any book now, the, answer, the, the, the name of the game, speed, you know. Waiting is a sign of weakness. And in the Bible, waiting is a sign of strength. I'm gonna invite Carl and the team to come out. I'm gonna wrap up with these final words because we're going to go back to our song that they wrote, which reminds us of waiting. But as they come out, I wanna have you think about this. It just, I was actually thinking about this later in the week after studying most of the week, but then kind of thinking about it later in the week. Did you realize, I think this is correct, would be correct. Waiting is not a part of the curse. See, we don't like to wait, but I want you to think about this. In the garden, pre-fall, was there such a thing as waiting? Ser I'm being serious with you. You ever think about it? Yes. Plants took time to grow. You know, there was morning and day. There was night. There was waiting. Um, now, think about this one. Will there be waiting in heaven? Yes. Waiting is godlike. But when we are in heaven, you see, everything's not, everything's not happening where there's waiting. But in heaven, we'll have to redefine waiting because right now we define waiting as, you know, being frustrated till you get what you want. But in heaven, waiting will simply and purely be delightful anticipation. That's what it will be. It'll be, a, it'll be awesome, you know, it'll be awesome to wait. 
are God's awaiting God. The spirit is a spirit of patience. I want you to close your eyes for a moment and I'm gonna ask you to reflect on this song and ask the spirit, God, what are you telling me today about your guidance in my life and what are you calling me to trust you for? ask you to set your Bibles aside now and invite you to stand. Would you stand and let's stand together and the applications to any text, of course, are as many as the people in the room. Sometimes we want to corporately engage. That's why we're together. And so we're going to do a responsive reading and let this be the prayer individually, but, but in a in a spiritual sense, it's, it's our body, it's our body response. So I'm the leader here. I'll, I'll lead, be the lead voice, and then you will respond as congregation as the words come up on the screen. Would you read those words out loud? I'll begin. Oh, Lord, my God, I hand my life to you. Let me not be ashamed of my confidence in your faithfulness. Let those who dismiss you wantonly come to disgrace. No one trusts in you. No one walks your path. No one is led by your truth. O Lord, will ever be ashamed. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, it is your promises that delight my soul. Wait for the Lord, and you will not be put to shame. Wait for the Lord, for his steadfast love never fails. 